the gifts of faith, miracles, and healings. There are certain gifts of the Holy Spirit that are sought by people more than others, simply because they are attention grabbers. They bring attention to the person more than anything else. It somehow points to them as being a little more spiritual than someone else. And if you've been around, um, say, Assembly of God, Foursquare, or Pentecostal groups that run in that circle through the gifts that are operative in kind of a, a wild way sometimes, kind of like the Wild West, and the, and the two are equated. There could be nothing more incorrect Spiritual gifts never equate spirituality. You can have gifts of the Spirit and be a hundred percent beef, carnal. The Corinthians had every gift. They were carnal. So, because you have gifts doesn't mean you're spiritual. We want to look at the three gifts that follow in our series under the category of power gifts. The gift of faith, gift of miracles, and the gifts, plural, of healing. Again, we want to clearly understand that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not natural talents or abilities, but supernatural gifts that God gives to individuals severally and sovereignly as He wills. We're to seek them, but we don't choose them. Man cannot operate them as he pleases or when he pleases. But they are active when and where and through whoever God chooses. This is particularly true of the uh, first nine gifts which are, uh, we're studying. The gifts of revelation or word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirit. We've seen those. God is the one that operates them. You cannot turn them on and off. The gifts of power, faith, miracle, and healings will see the same thing. The next category will be the gifts of inspiration, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now, the only one in that third category that we'll see next time is tongues. Tongues is the exception. A person is able to speak in tongues or their prayer language whenever they want. That's the only gift that you have control of. It's your personal gift. I don't want to get into it. It doesn't serve any purpose or, or good or benefit to the body unless it is interpreted. And that's, I'll leave it there. Then we'll get to it, okay? Because then it edifies somebody because you understand it. So out of those nine gifts, tongues is the only gift that you have the ability to speak at any time you want. And you can sing in the Spirit. You can talk in the Spirit. Paul did. He said that. Okay? Now, there is always a potential for the abuse and misuse of the gifts whenever they are being exercised by man. Or by a woman. So they must be examined by the word of God. Not my emotions. Not my feelings. Not my opinions. Not a testimony of, well, God did this and this person did that. What does that mean to me? It has to be the scriptures. The failure is not the gifts. But the people operating the gifts 
or claiming to operate the gifts. Some claim to speak for God when in fact they are not, like in the days of Jeremiah. Nothing different. Listen to Jeremiah 28, 15. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, Hananiah, the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Whoa. God wasn't speaking through him. But he was saying, thus saith the Lord. Do you think that doesn't happen today in pulpits or in churches? Absolutely. Others use their gifts as credentials for being spiritual, as I said before, when in fact they are carnal like the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3, 1, listen. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. What do you tell your son or your daughter when they are growing up and they start acting sort of childish? You say, act your age. Okay? Same thing. And still others abuse the gifts to exalt themselves above others to lord over the people out of pride and power and control. Jesus said, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, Matthew 23, 11. There's only one type of leadership. Are you ready for it? Servant leadership. Study the book of Nehemiah. Study the life of Jesus. Servant leadership. People get used by God. They get puffed up. They become power hungry and then they become corrupt in every other way. There are 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in three places. Romans 12, 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And verse 28 of that chapter also. And then Ephesians 4, 11. That's where all the gifts are listed. 21. Often people ask me, are there more than 21? Well, I can only go by the 21 that are listed. I can't add. I can't take away from it. Remember, everyone has at least one gift. As you sit here tonight, Peter says this. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 1 Peter 4.10. So you have at least one gift. I have at least one gift. You and I probably have more than one gift because they work in multi-combination many times as we've seen and we will see again. Okay, And it's for the edification of the body. Every part of your body is there to serve the other parts of the body, never themselves. The foot's not there for the foot. The hand's not there for the hand. The eye's not there for the eye. It's for the other parts of the body. And Paul uses that illustration, but we miss it. So in view of this, let's continue our series here on the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we study... um, the next three under the category of the power gifts. Gift of faith, miracles, and healings. And we'll see that that's poor. Let's begin with the gift of faith. First Corinthians 12, verse 9. The first portion gives us that gift. Now, the definition of the gift of faith is as follows. And again, I'm, we're taking this from Harold Horton, like the other ones. He does an excellent job on the definition. It says... He says, a supernatural power of belief 
to an individual to receive what the Holy Spirit has revealed. Harold Horton says the gifts of the Holy Spirit defines it this way. Active faith that passively expects a miracle or whatever is revealed. Passive faith. You're not doing anything. God reveals it to you that he's going to do it. That would be a word of knowledge. Okay? And all you do is believe God and he does it. You don't do anything about it. Okay? The gift of faith. The book of Hebrews defines faith itself for us. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in Hebrews 11.1. 1. But that is not the gift of faith. But faith itself, yet it is after the same nature and character. It's divine, supernatural. But there's a distinction between the gift of faith and general faith, and we'll see that. It could be defined, we could define the gift of faith as the guarantee of things revealed, despite of the evidence of things not seen. So that God gives you a word knowledge, I'm going to do this, and in spite of no evidence, you believe passively, confidently that God will do it. Now, time will allow me to know if it's me just imagining this or if it's God. If it doesn't come to pass, then it wasn't God speaking to me. Nothing lost. I'm waiting for God to do it. So this is not presumptuousness, will, or mind power. It is that you are certain that God has spoken to you and you're resting in God. The gift of faith is God's enabling me to believe what he reveals. Whoever God, whatever God calls, if he calls a person, he enables them. If God gives the word and now he's going to do a miracle, then he enables them to believe. And they rest in God. The manifestation may not always be immediate though. But because it is the gift of faith operating, the individual waits for God to bring it to pass confidently knowing God has spoken to him or her. And you wait. I have known women who have waited for their husbands when they had all the right to divorce, adultery. But God told them to wait. And they faithfully believe God. And I have seen some of their husbands come to Christ. But they were the ones that made that decision, believing God spoke to them. You understand? Now, that doesn't mean that everybody has to wait. If God... If you have the grounds for divorce and adultery, then you have the biblical right to do so. But if God tells you, I want you to wait, then it's your responsibility to obey God and wait, right? And that would be the gift of faith through a word of knowledge. And again, the gift of faith is passive, distinct from the gifts of healings that we'll see. And the gift of miracles, which are active faith in active works. Even though they may work at times in combination and multi-combination. The gift of faith being operated through the individuals at any particular time does not guarantee a person will operate it every time. For God not only disperses the gifts sovereignly as he wills, but he also manifests it sovereignly as he wills. So you may manifest the gift of faith one time. Doesn't mean you'll operate it all the time. God is the one that does it. 
The gift of faith is distinct from saving faith, as I said earlier, or general faith. By saving faith, we are saved by grace of faith and not of ourselves a gift to God. We saw that in depth study last week in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By general faith, we grow in confidence in God's word. Listen to Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So general faith in God, the gospel, in our lives of faith and spiritually, we hear the word of God and it keeps moving us on. General faith. The word for faith in Romans ten seventeen is the word rima. Sometimes you hear Fred Price and some of the positive confession, but the rhema and the spoken word, and you know, and don't confess nothing negative. And they make a big to do difference between the rhema and the logos. There is no Greek scholar that would make such a distinction. Not Vincent, not Robertson, not Linsky, nobody. One is spoken, the other one, logos, entails the thought and the whole concept, okay? No distinction. Now, not like they make it about being blessed of God or bringing that reality to pass. It's not biblical. Now, if all this is true, what we have defined then, we should be able to find it in the Old and the New Testament as we have the other ones. So let's begin in the Old Testament, evidence of the gift of faith. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2 through 5, we have there, as God promised to feed Elijah by the ravens. Remember? Listen to the passage. Then the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the rock of the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan, it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord Yahweh for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. God gave him a word of knowledge. He passively believed. He moved on it. He waited. God gave him the water. God gave him the food to the ravens. Give to faith. Okay? It's real simple. But it came through word knowledge. Elijah believed God to sustain him by the widow. You remember in 1 Kings 17, 8 through 14, who had a handful of meal and a little oil in the cruise. That text says this. Then the word of the Lord Yahweh came to him saying, Arise, go to Seraphat, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now remember, he was running from Ahab and Jezebel. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you a word of knowledge, what he's doing, and a word of wisdom together. So he arose and he went to Seraphath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord Yahweh, your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in the jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Not very happy ending here. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, 
but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterwards make some for yourselves and your son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the bin of the flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord Yahweh sends rain on the earth. God gave Elijah the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, where to go. He told him of the miracle he was going to do. Elijah tells her the word of knowledge of the Lord and the miracle he's going to do. And he does it. She didn't do it. She obeyed. Elijah didn't say that on his own. It would be selfish for him to say that all she has will give me first. So here you have the gift of faith. You have a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of faith, and you also have a miracle here. Okay? <laughs> Four. At one time. The widow believed the word of the prophet that the flour and oil miraculously supplied until God sent rain. In First Kings 17, 15 and 16. Listen. So she went away. And that according to the word of Elijah, and she, uh, she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord Yahweh, which he spoke to Elijah. So here you have faith, miracle, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. We're pointing out the gift of faith because this text gives us the gift of faith. Which is passive. Now, you remember the widow's son fell sick and died, and Elijah prayed, laying um, himself on the child and believing God would revive the child in 1 Kings 17, verse 17 and 21. It says, Now it happened after these things that he, the son of the widow who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Now, before we move on this, notice what she said. Isn't it interesting that when tragedy happens, we think that God is paying us back for our past sin in life? Where were your sins placed? In the deepest ocean. They were forgiven. They were judged on the cross. Tragedy may happen. Accidents may happen. But you're serving the Lord. God's in control. God is not paying you back. Be careful of that mentality. And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Remember, they had made this little room for him and everything because he was a prophet going back and forth on her husband. And then he cried out to the Lord Yahweh and said, Oh Lord, Yahweh, God Elohim, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Even Elijah is off base here. You can be the most spiritual person. God can use you mightily. But you're human like anybody else. And let me tell you, when you give in to your feelings, your emotion, you will do a three-point landing. 
you will eat crow. I can go from spirit to flesh in a thousand of a second and lightning speed. Thou art the son of the living God, the Christ, Peter says to Jesus. Then Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter says, no, 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 you, you got it all wrong. You're messing these people up. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. You do not discern the things of God from the things of man. Wow. How quick we go. And then he stretched himself out on the child three times. And he cried out to the Lord Yahweh and said, Lord Yahweh, O God, Elohim, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. So he prays in faith. And as you know, he did revive. A miracle. The woman thinks God is judging her. Elijah even thinks, Lord, what are you doing? Have you done this? She complains to Elijah, accusing him. And then he complains to the Lord, accusing God. Elijah. A man of like passions. Remember the three Hebrew men, Daniel's friends, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it says, answer and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Amazing. Now, they were trusting God. They believed that God could do a miracle. But if he didn't do a miracle, that's fine with us. The gift of faith. Passively believing that God is able to do what they just declared. We remember that Peter was delivered and James was killed with the sword, right? Does that mean that James didn't have enough faith? No. Who really got delivered? James did. Peter still had to stick around. <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective, right? Remember Daniel and the lions then. Great miracle there. Daniel 6, 17-23. It says, Then the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. Remember that Daniel was accused falsely about his prayer life and he was cast in there. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of the Lord's because they trapped him. That the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his places and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. And then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. Listen here, what he says. This is the pagan king, okay? He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continue, been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. 
And then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should not, uh, they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found in him because he believed in his God. As they lowered Daniel down, God gave him the gift of faith to believe that he was going to keep him safe through the night. Some commentators say, well, you know, the lions, they weren't very hungry and that's why it didn't. Well, listen, if you keep on reading that account, the people that accuse him false, falsely, the king commanded they to be thrown down. It says that the lions ate them before they hit the ground. So much for that commentary. But you see, when you don't accept the record of God's miracles, then you have to intellectualize them and explain them away. One of my favorite commentaries, commentators when I first was saved is uh, uh, Barclay. Great commentary, just brief, especially in Greek words and all that. But he, he didn't believe in miracles. So when it comes to miracles, it's, it's amazing what he says. Like the kid with the fish, he said he had some, a lot of fish and bread and up his sleeves and he shared his lunch with everybody, you know. And really, smart people. Amazing. So here we have evidence in the Old Testament of the gift of miracles. Now we should find them in the New Testament also. It won't be hard. In the New Testament, Matthew 10, 1, the 12 were sent out to cast out demons and to heal all kinds of diseases. The 12, it says, listen. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of diseases, sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. The 12, that means Judas Iscariot healed also and did miracles. Keep that in mind, okay? When somebody tells you that, that, that Jesus Iscariot wasn't walking with, with the Lord and stuff like that. You've got you to gotta do some finagling here. He did miracles. People were healed under him. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years is another miracle. In Luke 8, 47 through 48. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of the, all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So you have the gift of faith that she possessed that God gave to her. The minute he touched the hem of his garment and the miracle of being healed. Here we have it. The positive confession movement condemns those who are not healed. They say they lack faith. They must have sin in their life. Now, it may be true that you have not faith or that you have sin in your life, but that's not category straight across. When you teach a false doctrine like that, of course, if I pray for you for healing and you don't get healed, it's got to be you that have sin because not me, I don't have sin. Right? It's a very condemning doctrine. If I've got to choose between you and me, who do you think I'm going to choose? As being spiritual. <laughs> Mark tells us in Mark 5, 28 and 29. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she fell in her body that she was healed of that affliction. So again, the miracle. But you also have the gift of faith. Ananias was told by God to lay hands on Saul and he would recover his sight in Acts 9, 12. 
Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received the sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. A miracle. These things like scales fell off his eyes. He was blinded for a time. Paul was told no one would be lost in the ship on his way to Rome, remember. Acts 27, 21 through 24. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me (laughs) and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you. There's a word of knowledge, as well as a word of wisdom. But only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong to, and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail With you. The gift of faith. You have a miracle. They work in multi-combination. You have a word of knowledge. But it's the faith. Here he believed. As you know they were in a storm for about 21 days. They, They cast everything out of the ship. And all of a sudden. God speaks to Paul. You have a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom. The gift of faith. And multi combination. If you can get the book, I don't know if it's in print anymore because a lot of the Christian um, comp- um, printing uh, agencies are letting go good Christian books. If you can get George Muir, the title is Man of Faith. Little book. Excellent. He had orphanages in England and he never begged for money and God provided for all the orphans that he took under him. And he tells you about miracle after miracle, how God did it. Incredible. This is the gift of faith. Evident in the Old Testament as well as the New. Now comes the gift of miracles. Again, there's multi-combination, but we'll focus on the one that we're dealing with. 1 Corinthians 12.10, we find the gift. The definition of the miracle is as follows. A supernatural act or acts or events of power, which would defy or go against our natural laws of the universe as we know them, physically, biologically, or scientifically. This is active faith with active works. Again, the definition of Harold Horton. Okay, the other one's passive. The miracle is active. The obvious contrast would be the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics, which allows a plane to take flight. Is that a miracle? No, because it can be explained through scientific and principles of aerotechnology. Okay. Because of the lift, because of the propulsion, all of that stuff, we know the plane can stay up, okay? It's canceling out the law of gravity, overriding it, but not canceling out together. It's still there. So that's not a miracle. We can understand that. Anything that can be explained through natural scientific reasoning is not a miracle. Now, having said that, yet God can and does at times use the natural To manifest the supernatural. And he can and does give wisdom to doctors to enable them to successfully bring about a remedy or an outcome in an operation that they themselves know is a miracle. It shouldn't have succeeded. And that happens many times. 
And sometimes it's hard. Okay? Was it a miracle? Was it the doctor? Sometimes the doctor himself will say, you should be dead. This is a miracle. And they're unbelievers. God is sovereign. The gift of miracles being manifested by an individual one or several times again does not guarantee that they will do so every time as the other gifts. God is the one that operates it. The Old Testament again gives us evidence of miracles. Let me run through some of them. The plague were used to affect only the Egyptians, remember, in the Exodus, Exodus 7 through chapter 7 through 14. Even making a separation between the Israelites and the Egyptians at one time to show that it wasn't just happenstance, but it was a mighty hand of God. A miracle. The rod of Moses was turned into serpent in Exodus 7, 8 through 13. And then the magicians cast on their rods and they turned to serpents, but the serpent of Moses ate up the other serpents. Okay? Miracle. The water of the Nile turned into blood, Exodus seven nineteen. Miracle. It wasn't red tide. It was a miracle. The part of the Red Sea allows Israel to walk on dry land in Exodus 14. Miracle. And yet many intellectualize it and explain even today in some of the tours. Well, they go through the, what they call the Sea of Reeds. And it's only about three feet high at certain times. And they just walked across it. It's amazing what intelligent people say. Foolishness. And they still call themselves Christians, by the way. The Jordan was parted during flood season. When their feet touched the water, it parted. Joshua 3, 7 through 8. Absolute miracle. I mean, you try to part your jacuzzi or your bathtub. You can't even do that. The command of Joshua for the sun to stand still for about a whole day. In Joshua 10, 12 through 13, and recorded throughout the world in certain calendars. Really, it wasn't um, the sun standing still, but it was the earth stood still. Because it's the earth that's revolving. Okay? Which, stop and think. I mean, you're revolving a thousand miles an hour. To slow that big ball down, you think you'd fly off the surface, Right? You have a miracle. The gods loaded down. Nothing. No one got hurt. Gave them enough daylight to defeat the enemy. That's a miracle. The swallowing up of Jonah by the whale and surviving. Josh and Jonah chapter 1 through 4. Four chapters. The entire city repented. This is the greatest miracle in the Bible. Not the greatest revival. There's many miracles. The miracle of Jonah being swallowed and burped up. The miracle of the repentance of an entire city. They call it the greatest revival. It is not. Because revival, according to the Bible, is for the believer, not for the non-believer. Revival... Dr. Orr was the greatest expert on revivals. And he said that revival can start with one person, two. It makes no difference of the number. But it's to revive the believer who has become indifferent and lethargic in his faith. 
And God steers and revives his heart. And the overflow of that revival is to have a vision and heart for the lost. So the overflow of revival for the people of God brings about evangelism and a heart for the lost. But revival in its biblical sense is for the believer, not for the non-believer. So what you have in Jonah's day in the city of Nineveh is the greatest miracle. They repented on a maybe and God put his wrath off for a hundred years and then he poured it on them because they reverted back. Wow. So those are some of the miracles of the Old Testament. Very, very clear. The New Testament evidence of the gift of miracle is equally impressive. Jesus was known for miracles, as you know. And in Matthew 4.23, and Jesus went about Galilee, um, teaching um, and preaching in the synagogues the gospel of the kingdom and heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. So there was, Jesus didn't say, well, I only heal this, I only heal that. Whoever came, he healed. The disciples were partakers also. Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called the 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Once again, the 12, Judas Iscariot, did miracles. God used them, okay? Luke 10, 1. Jesus sent out the 70 disciples, two by twos, and they performed miracles, including casting out demons, and they returned with joy in Luke 10, 1. Listen to what they said. Jesus said to them, because they were rejoicing for the demons cast out, Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. People get all excited about these power gifts and they're they're legitimate they're for today but they seek them for the wrong reason for attention for themselves to be thought as spiritual jesus says rejoices your names are written in the book of life that's something they get excited about that's a greater miracle you're a miracle that you repented that's a miracle i'm a miracle you're a miracle What you did is not natural. It's supernatural. Jesus miraculously multiplied five loaves and two fishes, as I mentioned before, in order to feed the 5,000 besides women and children. In the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast of Canaan in John 2. Miracle. You can't explain any other way. Remember that Satan can also imitate the work of God, but he cannot create. With the magicians, Janice and Jambri, they cast their rods down. But again, Moses' rod and serpent swallowed them up. So Satan can try to imitate, which again is something very interesting because miracles are no evidence that you are from God. Listen very carefully. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. John 3, 2. Listen. Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Why? For no one can do these signs that you do 
unless God is with him. Is that a true statement? No. The Antichrist will perform miracles as well as the false prophet by the power of Satan. That someone does a miracle does not mean they're from God. Nicodemus was wrong. The signs must be in accord with the word of God by the spirit of God, not contrary to it. So you judge the miracle by the standard of God's word to see if it's of God. Paul tells the Corinthians that false apostles and deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 14. So Satan mimics, he, he imitates, he duplicates, but he can't create. But he is going to do miracles. Hebrews says God bears witness of his power as he will through the gifts of miracle and other gifts. Hebrews 2.4. Listen to what it says. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will, Hebrews says. In other words, God did miracles through Peter, James, John, and all these, as God willed. They were mere instruments. So the danger in these power gifts, faith, miracle, and healings, is to call attention to yourself or to believe what people are saying about you and you bring attention to yourself and you start thinking you're something you're not and really you're not doing it. Because if you had the gift of faith at, oper- at any time and the gift of miracles, and as we're going to see the gift of healing, you would be going down the children's hospital and healing them. But why aren't you there? Because it's God that has to direct the healing, the miracle. Anytime a miracle, sign, anything adds or takes away from the word of God, it is not of God. It's very clear. Deuteronomy 4.2, Proverbs 30, verse 6, Revelation 22.18, you shall not add, you shall not take away. Three times in the scriptures. This is the gift of miracles. So you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, in multi-combinations with other gifts. Third and last is the gifts of healings. And Mark sure that it's in the plural. This is found in 1 Corinthians 12.9. The definition of the gifts of healings is as follows. A supernatural act, acts or events of power that would make an individual whole, healthy, Heal without natural means regardless of the disorder. If a person has medical aid, this is not divine healing. Though certainly God could give the doctor, as I said earlier, the wisdom to manifest that miracle in itself. And sometimes we know about it, sometimes we don't. The gift is plural. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. 28 and 30, plural, healings, healings, healings. The reason being could be for distinct and specific diseases and healings. It could be that God would give someone the gift of healing regarding cancer. And God would use them in that direction. 
We don't know. But it's in the plural. So God could use someone in one area while using another one in another area. We're not sure. The gift does not guarantee that the person will manifest it at all times, every time again. Because God is the one who has to give you the word of knowledge, give you the gift of faith, perform the miracle, right? And do the healing. Who would dare to walk up to someone who's in a wheelchair and say, stand up and walk? If God hasn't told you. You can stumble people, you can destroy people who are trusting you because you say certain things that God told you when God really didn't tell you. So the gifts of the Spirit are not something to play with or to trifle with because people's lives are on the line. So you have to make sure that God has spoken to you and that it is God who is telling you that. You are the only responsible for what you say God told you. There are no healers, only individuals who God uses through the gift of healing. So healers is not a gift in the Bible. A person cannot operate the gift as they will when they will. Otherwise, certainly, as I said earlier, you or that person would be down at children's hospital or at the city of hope, raising people up miraculously. Of their cancer or illness. God can heal a person of an illness. And years later allow them to die of the same illness or another. Doesn't mean that God didn't heal them, right? We've seen that at times. They go for a checkup and they have a tumor. I just spoke to a young woman today. They said she had four, stage four of cancer. She went back. Nothing there. At all. A miracle. How do you explain it? You just say, God healed me. (laughs) Simple. Now let's find this in the Old Testament as evidence of healings. Genesis 20, verse 17. Abraham prayed for Abimelech, remember, and his wife and his household as they uh, could not bear children, okay, because uh, they had taken Sarah, remember? (laughs) He gets all over him. This was the first miracle in the Bible. In fact, my father, raw Christian Reese, was healed by God of a hole in his liver at Rancho de los Amigos in Downey. And he was a pagan at the time. This is before he accepted the Lord. He said, oh, well, no, no, no. God doesn't heal non-believers. Really? Show me that in the scripture. <laughs> I'm giving you a scripture that God healed this pagan. And he healed my father. Miracles are not for evangelism. There's a caution here. As the late John Wimber of the Vineyard Movement used to teach, him and Wagner used to teach his class here at Fuller Seminary, Signs and Wonders. And they said that miracles are a form of evangelism. To draw people so they get saved. No. The Bible says Christians, that that Christians don't follow signs and wonders, but signs and wonders follow Christians. Okay? 
God works miracles, but that's not for evangelism. People get saved by faith, hearing the word of God. Grace through faith. Now God can use a miracle that takes place at a time to stir up faith. But they don't get saved by the miracle. They get saved by the faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. So be careful of that type of philosophy. It's nothing new. But they were heavy into that in the vineyard movement. I don't know where they are now, but um, they, they taught that very, very strongly. And they used to be with Calvary Chapel, then they split off. Now, Miriam, the sister of Moses, was struck with leprosy by God for speaking against Moses for marrying the Ethiopian, remember, uh, woman. And he interceded for Miriam and God healed her of her leprosy in Numbers 12. An absolute miracle. When you had leprosy, you're considered as dead. The Shunammite woman's son, who God had given miraculously, uh, died. And Elisha, this time, laid on the child's mouth-to-mouth, eye-to-eye, hand-to-hand, two times, and the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes and revived. 2 Kings 4, 32-35. You talk about a miracle. (laughs) Don't confuse this account with the one of Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 4. One's Elijah, he comes first, and Elisha comes last. S is at the end of the alphabet. J is the beginning. That's how you remember them. Now, as difficult as it may be to believe, this has happened in our present day. And in ages past, that God has raised people from the dead. We don't see it so much here, but in China, there's been people raised from the dead. And I don't know why it is. Maybe when we see God, he has a power encounter with a lot of occult or pagan religions, like Elijah with the prophets of Baal, a power encounter. That God demonstrated that he's more powerful and he does incredible things. But if I have to find fault somewhere for there not being more miracles in the midst of us, I would have to say it would be our fault somehow, not God's. You agree with me? Okay? Because he's the same today, yesterday, and evermore, right? So the Old Testament has much evidence. But the New Testament also has evidence of healings. In Matthew 8, 14, Jesus came down from the mountain and healed the leper. No cure has been found, again, for leprosy to the present day. They can arrest it. It's called Henson's disease. It's a type of sin in the Bible. The scriptures uh, teach this. It's due to the nature of its destroying aspect. It destroys the nerves, endings, and the feelings. Um, In the Old Testament, you have to cover your upper lip and run around saying unclean, unclean, Leviticus 13.45. And you have to stay a certain distance and a, more, a greater distance if it was downwind. And you lived out in the dumps and outside the cities. No one could touch you. You were as dead to your family. You could never have contact or go to the temple, nothing. And yet Jesus, if you are willing, he said to Jesus, you can claim, he says, be clean. The minute he touched them, he didn't touch them to heal them. He touched them to give evidence that he was healed because against the law to touch a leopard. 
He was healed when Jesus touched him. A miracle. Healing. Faith. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of the fever in Matthew 8, 15. So he touched her head and the fever left her and she arose and served them. The centurion who did not consider himself worthy of Jesus coming to his house to heal his servant simply said, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed, Matthew 8, 8. The account will reveal there was a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, faith, miracle, and healings involved. All in that one passage. The healing of the man's son who was deaf and dumb due to demons was healed by Jesus in Mark 9, 25. The impotent man, the pool of Bethesda, John 5, 1 through 9. Take note that it is not the gift of healers again, but the gifts of healings, plural. By his stripes, we are healed. Matthew quotes it for the physical healing and Peter for the spiritual healing. As I pointed out this morning, Isaiah 53, Matthew 8, 17, 1 Peter 2, 24. Both are in the atonement. The lame man at the temple in Acts 3, 12. You're familiar with them. So when Peter saw it, he responded... To the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you so intently, uh, look so intently on us as though by our own power or goodness, we had made this man walk? Men in Israel, why do you marvel at this? The people of God should not be amazed that God does miracles or heals. It should be common thing to us. Not that he does it all the time, but that he can do it. But if you're not used to it, you may marvel. <laughs> the danger of the apostles here was to take credit for it. There's a danger on the flip side of that when God uses you that people want to worship you. They think it's because you are closer to God than them. And that's not the case. There are a bunch of rats out there in Christianity that just rob people, defraud people. And their miracles are not of God. They're, they're, they're set up, con artists. And yet God still uses them for people to get saved. Does that bother you? It shouldn't. God will deal with them either here or there. But he'll use it to reach people. Healings were an attestation and confirmation of the resurrection in Acts 4, 29 through 30, 5, 12, and many other places. The power of the resurrection. In fact, in Acts 4, 29 and 30 says, Now the Lord look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They asked God to use them. 
And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all, Acts 4.33. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the apostles or among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, Acts 5.12. Jesus healed Wendy Hanegraaff, that you, her, her husband, Peter, used to be on staff and ran the children's ministry before Fernando. She had stage five of leukemia in her bones. Healed her completely. She had two kids after that. <laughs> They're in Chicago now. In fact, Silas, her son, was just here. Last time he left, he was a little squirt. I had to look up to him. Amazing. Amy Kens. X-ray showed all this black from her shoulders to her belly. Went back, clean as a whistle. How do you explain it? Miracle, God healed her. Simple. People were healed by Peter's shadow and Acts. 515. And so they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by night fall on some of them. Have any problem with that? God did it. God is sovereign and does as he wills, when he wills, to who he wills, as often as he wills, and wherever and whenever he wills. Yet he never violates his attributes or his word. He's perfect. Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons in Acts 12, 19. Literally, they're sweatbands. He'd lay his sweaty bands on people. <laughs> I should like that. So that even handkerchiefs, sweatbands, or aprons were bought from the, his body to the sick and diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them. Now, there you have the evangelists going to this. They want methodology. So they mail you out if you want to be healed. This little passage here, send me $30 and I'll send it to you. Now, Jesus heals. Put your hand up by the TV. Touch mine. Your faith is going to be... Re- now, what's crazy is sometimes God heals people. But what are the shyster? The con artist. The manipulator. But be careful all these scammers. Let's say revival. But you got to wait till Friday. Really? You got to wait till Friday for God to heal me? Wow. God does not command us to imitate or follow methods. All we can say is that God did it his own way. He's sovereign. Televangelists attempt to copy all these practices. Being presumptuous. God is sovereign. And yet God will do miracles in spite of these guys. Because God loves his people that come by faith. He honors the heart of the person who comes. Not the person who's being the instrument necessarily. The father of Publius lay sick in Acts 28, 8 through 9. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed. 
And he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those in the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Now, now don't you find it a little ironic that Paul is going around laying hands and healing people, and yet he had an infirmity and, and he, he wasn't healed? <laughs> Does God have a sense of humor? The elders are to anoint with oil laying hands on the sick, James 5.14. This is what we do the first Thursday of every month. We suspend the MDev study. We have communion. We worship the Lord. We pray for the needs and for God's direction. And then we take time out to, for you to come forward. We anoint you with oil if you have a need. Lay hands and we pray in faith that God would heal you or touch you or give you wisdom, whatever your need is. This is very important for you to step out and to trust God for and to ask Him individually and corporately as a church that God may move in the midst of our lives that we may see the evidence of His grace and His love. He does this. The gift of faith. The gift of miracles. The gifts of healing. All three, the power gifts. They are legitimate for today, but they are some of the most abused, not the only ones. And some of the ones more sought out because it brings attention to you. Once again, let me close with this statement. Because you have gifts does not mean you're spiritual. You can have gifts of the Spirit of God. God can use you in a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Gift of faith, miracles, healings, and yet your life is 100% beef. Remember Balaam's jackass? We all qualify. God honors his word above his name, and God loves his people and will meet their needs. And we just rest in the Lord. But we have to judge everything By the scriptures. Father thank you for your grace and your love. And we thank you for tonight. And Lord we pray you continue to deal with our hearts. As we continue to study and examine your word. And thank you for every person tonight Lord. And I pray that you would continue to help us to learn. And to be more aware of these gifts. And Lord um, the multi-combination. And how you use them Lord. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you or over the internet, you would speak to their hearts about their need of you, how you love them and you want to do the greatest miracle in their life, saving them, Lord, as they would call on your name. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. God wants to do that miracle of making you a brand new creature in Christ. By grace through faith, not because you deserve it, but because you are convinced by the Spirit of God that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. And that that's the only way you're ever going to get into heaven. By Jesus Christ. If this is your decision, it is by the illuminating work of the Spirit of God as he gives you faith to believe. But he won't make that decision for you. You must make that decision. God forces no one into heaven. He 
He convicts them and then they make a decision to choose. If this is your decision, this is your prayer to Him, a prayer of repentance, you can repeat it where you're at and He's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.